This path will lead you to an unholy place, a cemetery. Hello everybody, Foggy Jack here, the lost boy, oddball of magic, and the host of the Foggy Jack 13 podcast. I'll meet you down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted. Welcome to the Black Mass. is an artist of powers as various as the instruments upon which he plays his dirges for the dead, evoking from some the sharpest, shrillest notes, from others the low, grave chords that throb recurrent like the slow beating of a distant drum. Some natures it startles, some it stupefies. To one it comes like the stroke of an arrow, stinging all the sensibilities to a keener life, to another as the blow of a bludgeon which in crushing benumbs. These lines of Ambrose Bias serve well to introduce our adaptation of his short story, The Boarded Window. Everybody hereabouts knew the spot was haunted. Kids used to run up and throw stones at the cabin and then head out of there. Said they'd heard a rifle shot wing at them, or the ghost of one. I used to go up to the cabin now and then. Maybe it was the mystery of the place. More likely the sadness. It said something sad about them times. I found out about the rifle shot, just an echo from the canyon if you throw a rock against the cabin. See, you can hear it when I throw. 
sounds like a rifle shot, but it's only an echo. The old man's name was said to be Murloc, as much as we know he was one of the first to arrive out in these parts. His wife died shortly after they got settled, that was so long ago no one can remember anything about her. After that he just lived on alone in the cabin. And you can still see where he cleared the ground. The trees never grew back. Made what little he needed off skin trading. Looks like he never used his clearing for growing anything. The whole story is just what you see. Cabin, clearing, and the two graves over there. One day they found him in the cabin, dead. They couldn't tell for how long exactly. And they buried him alongside the grave of his wife. Well, that, that's about all there was. Except for the window and what I found out. The cabin has a single door and one window boarded up. No one can remember a time when the window wasn't boarded up. Well, that was the mystery. The door is gone and the cabin's empty, except for an old table no good for any use. But the window still keeps something out. I don't know if, if what I'll tell you explains it. You, you can judge for yourself. I was up here, late one afternoon. Supposed to see if there was anything about the cabin worth calculating in the sale of the timber property. Well, I was just standing here beside the house, looking at the window. Don't know what put the idea in mind, but I took up a stone and walked up to the window. It didn't take more than a few hits, and the boards begin giving in, so as I could just push in from the bottom with my hand. The upper nails acted like a hinge and the boards opened up like a window. I looked inside. The whole place was as dark as night. Then it began happening. The darkness seemed to pour out of the room all around me till it was dark night everywhere. Then... In the room, I saw them, like they begun to light up, or like I could see in the dark. I tell you, I saw the two of them, the body of a woman lying on the table and him, Murloc. I guess it was Murloc, asleep in the chair, head and arms on the table beside her. I, I found myself in the room, but I couldn't stand up. It, it was like some dream. I was on all fours, staring at the body of the woman, and then some some strange compulsion seemed to take hold of me, and and I sprang at her. Thank you.
We settled here long ago, Janice and me. We, we had plans. Plans to clear the land and farm it. We were one of the first out here, and we had plans. Later we'd go to Cincinnati, maybe, or further west, with the children as they came, seeing new things. That was the spirit then. She had it. She had it strong for a woman. She kept me afire with it. It was a fire between us. No man ever loved that much, I thought. Janice. Janice. It all ended. Ended almost before it began. didn't even last beyond that first spring when she was took took from me I came in one day from Gunnan and there she was Fever Janice Fever Janice Janice there, there's no doctor save 30 miles in Parley Oh, but it's, it's going to be all right, Janice. I, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Help me. Janice. We must stay together. Of course, Janice. It can't happen like this. All we've got to do. All to do. Hush, Janice, hush. Hush, we'll make it. We'll make it. three days she was gone just gone Janice Janice I watched her till morning I couldn't believe that white face and still body was all there was left. When the day came, seems I looked so long that all my feelings had gone too, gone with her. There was that what had to be done. And far as we were from anywhere, there was none to do it but myself. I hammered the boards into a box. Big enough. Janice. 
dead have to be prepared for burial. It is a sacred duty. It had to be done. And I didn't know exactly how. I didn't remember exactly what I heard must be done. I did what I thought should. Was that... Oh, Janice. It was that had to be taken out so as the body not swell. Some things I, I did incorrectly, but as best I knew. Other things I, I did over and over. Oh, Janice, the duty for burial. It was the duty to do it. And, uh, and afterwards, I washed the body. I washed the body clean again and again. I didn't cry, Janice. I didn't cry. It was the right thing, best as I could do it. But I can't cry. Isn't it unkind not to cry for the dead? No, no, tomorrow. Tomorrow when I dig the grave and, and lower the box and roll the dirt in, then I'll miss you, Janice, when you're no longer in sight. But now. Now. It's all right. It must be all right. your hair. Remember how you'd comb it out. Long golden hair. Then braid. Braid. I do it over and over till I get it right. And the ribbon. Or oh, the ribbon to bind your wrists, Janice. I, I tie the ribbon over and over. I don't know how many times before the bow is just right. It must look just right. Just right, Janice. I worked almost all night. Then... Then laid the body on the table. All ready for the morning. Still, there was no grief. My heart could not contain it all, nor could I rightly conceive it. I didn't know I was so hard-struck. That, oh, that would come later. Later, Janice, and never go. Oh, I was tired. I was tired... might have been a beast, maybe a dream. Oh, I was too tired to tell. Ah, tired. Tired. 
Suddenly, suddenly something woke me. It was pitch. Strained my eyes to see. I could see nothing but, but the dark. There was something in the room. Something alive. Something alive beside me. I, I felt the table shake. As if Janice! Someone was walking. Janice! Janice! I, I, I flung my arms across the table. Janice! was there. Janice, you, you can't be alive. You can't be alive after what I did to you. Stop. Stop. Where's the rifle? The flash will light up the room. Stop. Stop. It was a cat. A panther. Dragging her. Dragging her to the window. Its teeth fixed in her throat. Stop. 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 Returned to consciousness, the sun was high. The body lay near the window where the beast had left it. The clothing was deranged, the long hair in disorder, the limbs lay anyhow from the throat, torn apart. A pool of blood. The ribbon with which I had bound the hands was broken. The hands. The hands were tightly clenched. Ah. Between the teeth was a fragment of the animal's ear. That was The Boarded Window by Ambrose Bias. The part of the narrator was played by Ben Giacopetti. The part of Janus was played by Amanda Folger. Murlock was played by Eric Bowersfeld. The musical background was performed and partly composed by Carl Schrager. The technical production was by John Whiting. Well... There is a little time left. Not enough to present the other feature we had hoped to have ready for you this evening, Franz Kafka's story, The Judgment. It will be ready by next time. Instead, 
Continuing our Ambrose Beers Festival, here is an old favourite of the Black Mass. Those of you who have already heard it can get back to the coffee shop. For the rest, here is another side of Mr. Beers. My name is Buffer Beans. I was born of honest parents in one of the humbler walks of life. My father being a manufacturer of dog oil. And my mother having a small studio in the shadow of the village church. Where she disposed of unwelcomed babies. In my boyhood, I was trained to the habits of industry. I not only assisted my father in procuring dogs for his vats, but was frequently employed by my mother to carry away the debris of her work in the studio. In performance of this duty, I sometimes had need of all my natural intelligence, for all the law officers in the vicinity were opposed to my mother's business. They were not elected on an opposition ticket, and the matter had never been made a political issue. Um, it just happened so. My father's business of making dog oil was naturally less unpopular, though the owners of missing dogs sometimes regarded him with suspicion, which was reflected to some extent upon me. My father had, as silent partners, all the physicians of the town, who seldom wrote a prescription which did not contain what they were pleased to designate as oil of canine. It is really the most valuable medicine ever discovered. But most persons are unwilling to make personal sacrifices for the afflicted. And it was evident that many of the fattest dogs in town had been forbidden to play with me, a fact which pained my young sensibilities. And at one time came near to driving me to be a pirate. Looking back upon those days, I cannot but regret at times, that by indirectly bringing my beloved parents to their death, I was the author of misfortunes profoundly affecting my future. One evening, while passing my father's oil factory, with the body of a foundling from my mother's studio, I saw a constable who seemed to be closely watching my movements. Young as I was, I had learned that a constable's act of whatever apparent character are prompted by the most reprehensible motives. And I avoided him by dodging into the oilery by a side door which happened to stand ajar. I locked it at once and was alone with my dead. My father had retired for the night. The only light in the place came from the furnace, which glowed a deep, rich crimson under one of the vats casting ruddy reflections on the wall. Within the cauldron, the oil still rolled in indolent ebullition, occasionally pushing to the surface a piece of dog. Seating myself to wait for the constable to go away, I held the naked body of the foundling in my lap and tenderly stroked its short, silken hair. Ah, how beautiful it was. Even at that early age, I was passionately fond of children. And as I looked upon this cherub, I could almost find it in my heart to wish that the small red wound upon its breast, the work of my dear mother, had not been mortal. 
it had been my custom to throw the babies into the river, which nature had thoughtfully provided for the purpose. But that night, I did not dare to leave the oilery for fear of the constable. After all, I said to myself, it cannot greatly matter if I put it into this cauldron. My father will never know the bones from that of a puppy. And the few deaths which may result from administering another kind of oil for the incomparable oil of canine are not important in a population which increases so rapidly. In short, I took the first step in crime and brought myself untold sorrow by casting the baby into the cauldron. The next day, somewhat to my surprise, my father rubbed his hands with satisfaction as he reported to my dear mother. Amazing. Simply amazing. What is it, dear? You're absolutely radiant. Do tell us what has happened. Astounding. They said they never saw anything like it. Never saw anything like what, my dear Mr. Beans? The oil. This morning's vats produced the finest quality oil that was ever seen. They all said so. The physicians to whom I showed the samples pronounced it the finest ever. Well, dear, what did you do to improve it so? Don't tell us, for heaven's sake. But that's just it. I have no knowledge whatsoever as to how the result was obtained. The dogs were treated in all respects as usual. They were, in fact, of a very ordinary breed. Uh, was that not so, Buffer? Uh, buffer! I deemed it my duty uh, to explain, which I did, though palsied would have been my tongue if I could have foreseen the consequences. Mr. Bings, how very disconcerting that for so long we should have been ignorant of combining our industries. True, true, Mrs. Bings, and we must take immediate measures to repair our error. Certainly so, Mr. Bings, certainly so. First thing, we shall remove my studio to a wing of the factory building. Oh, this very evening. This very evening we shall begin. Oh, Buffer dear, what greater joy might a beloved son bring to his beloved parents than an enterprising mind? And my duties in connection with the business ceased. I was no longer required to dispose of the bodies of the small superfluous, and there was no need of alluring dogs to their doom. My father discarded them altogether, though they still had an honourable place in the name of the oil. So, suddenly thrown into idleness, I might naturally have been expected to become vicious and dissolute. But I did not. I did not. The holy influence of my dear mother was ever about me to protect me from the temptations which beset you. And my father was a deacon in the church. Ah, alas, that through my fault, these estimable persons should have come to so bad an end. Finding a double profit in her business, my mother now devoted herself to it with a new assiduity. She removed not only superfluous and unwelcome babies to order, but went out into the highways and byways, gathering in children of a larger growth and even such adults as she could entice. My father, too, enamoured of the superior quality of oil produced, pervade for his vats with diligence, 
and zeal. The conversion of their neighbours into dog oil became, in short, of the one passion of their lives. An absorbing and overwhelming greed took possession of their souls and served them in place of a hope in heaven. So enterprising had they now become that a public meeting was held. And we are resolved, Mr. and Mrs. Bings, that our censuring must needs be severe if your invasions upon the population continue. We assure you that further raids will be met in a spirit of hostility by one and all. My poor parents left the meeting broken-hearted, and I believe not altogether sane. Anyhow, I deemed it prudent not to enter the oilery with them that night but slept outside in a stable. About midnight, some mysterious impulse caused me to sneak through an open window into the furnace room, where I knew my father slept now. The fires were burning as brightly as if the following day's harvest uh, was expected to be abundant. One of the large cauldrons was slowly walloping with a mysterious appearance of self-restraint as if it bided its time to put forth its full energy. And my father was not in bed. He had risen in his nightclothes and was preparing a noose in a strong cord. From the looks which he cast at the door of my mother's bedroom, I knew too well the purpose he had in mind. Speechless and motionless with terror, I could do nothing in prevention or warning. Suddenly, the door of my mother's apartment was opened, noiselessly, and the two confronted each other, both apparently surprised. The lady also was in her night clothes, and she held in her right hand the tool of her trade, a long, narrow-bladed dagger. For one instant, they looked into each other's blazing eyes, and then sprang together in indescribable fury. Round and round the room they struggled, the man cursing, the woman shrieking, both fighting like demons. She to strike him with the dagger, he to strangle her with his bare hands. I know not how long I had the unhappiness to observe this disagreeable instance of domestic infelicity. But at last, after a more than usual vigorous struggle, the combatants suddenly moved apart. My father's breast and my mother's weapon showed evidences of contact. For another instant, they glared at each other in the most unamiable way. Then, my poor wounded father, feeling the hand of death upon him, leaped forward, unmindful of resistance, grasped my dear mother in his arms, dragged her to the side of the boiling cauldron, collected all his failing energies, and sprang in with her. In a moment, both had disappeared and were adding their oil to that of the committee of citizens who had called the day before with an invitation to the public meeting. Convinced that these unhappy events closed to me every avenue of an honourable career in that town, I removed to the famous city of Atomwee, 
where these memoirs are written with a heart full of remorse for a heedless act entailing so dismal a commercial disaster. That was Oil of Dog by Ambrose Bias, performed by your host of the Black Mass, with technical production by John Whiting. And now, good night. Goodbye and blessed be.